0: Chapter Thirteen of the Scotch Twins by Lucy Fitch Perkins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen, The New Laird. It was Friday when news of the old laird's death reached the village, and on the following Sabbath there was not an empty seat in the kirk, for every one was anxious to hear the latest gossip about the event, which meant so much to every one in the region. There was no newspaper in the village and the news of the week was passed about by word of mouth in the kirkyard after service, or on weekdays was retailed over the counter at the village post-office, which was post-office and general store in one. The Campbells were early in their pew, and the twins watched the other worshippers as they came slowly up the aisle and took their places before time for the service to begin. Sandy winked at them most indecorously across the church, but his mother poked him to remind him of his duty— and he sent no more silent messages to the other members of the clan. There was an air of expectation which seemed to affect everyone in the kirk. Even the minister looked as if he had something special on his mind, and as for Mr. Craigie, he was as solemnly important, Sandy said afterwards, as though he were the corpse himself, while Angus Neil acted like nothing less than the chief mourner in the kirkyard he let it be known that he was entirely familiar with the details of the Albert's funeral which had occurred in london the day before though how the particulars reached him in so short a time must for ever remain a mystery it was mr craigie however who gave out the important news which every one had felt must be coming on the steps after service he said to mr crumpet it's likely andrew that you may have more time about your lease I've had news that the new laird is coming soon to the castle with his lawyers, and some other people to look over the estate and take possession. Abby MacLean is to get ready for quite a party of the gentry. Mrs. Crumpet was standing near her husband, and she was a bold woman, who would have asked a question of the old laird himself if she had had occasion. Then it's the sickly bit laddie who's the heir, she said, and not the Edinburgh man. Mr. Craigie looked majestic, and waved her aside, merely saying as he went down the steps, "'It is not an Edinburgh body,' but giving no hint as to whether it was man, woman, or child. The people who had gathered about him, thinking to hear something definite, looked resentfully at his back as he walked away, and Mrs. Crumpet openly expressed her opinion that he knew nothing more about it himself.' If he did, he couldn't help letting it dribble out by degrees, like a leaky kern, being too stingy to tell it out free, like any other body,' she said. Mrs. Crumpet was a woman of rare penetration. Even Sandy didn't often get ahead of his mother. For another week the village waited in suspense for further news, and then on Saturday the report spread like wildfire through the town that the new laird, with his party, had arrived at the castle the night before. "'It was Sandy who brought the news to the little grey house. "'And they say there are three carriage-loads of them, "'and they never got to the glen until dark,' he cried. "'And the tale is that the castle ovens have never been cool "'since the word came a week ago. "'Mother says Eppie McLean has been laying in provisions "'as if she looked for seven lean years like Joseph in Egypt.' "'Losh!' interrupted Jock. "'I wish Alan was here. "'Wouldn't we get some of those good things for the cave, though?' "'But that isn't all the news,' cried Sandy, who had come three miles to tell it, and was not going to let it burst from him too suddenly. "'There's more.' "'What is it, Sandy?' cried Jane, dancing with impatience. "'Hurry, lad, let out what's bottled up, in you or you'll blow the cork.' "'Well,' exploded Sandy, "'you'll get some of the good things without Alan, I'm telling you, for there's to be a grand feast at the castle, and everybody is asked to come.' "'There's a sign-up in the village, and it's to be Monday at five o'clock. "'They say Epic McLean has fowls waiting by the dozen, "'and a barrel of tatties ready for the pot. "'Losh, I don't see how the new lard can stay weekly with so much to fill him up.' "'Sal!' cried "Jean, "'If he's such a wee laddie as they say, "'it's likely his mother will be the one to say what's to be done in Glencairn, "'and it's not likely she'll be wanting to go rampaging over the country, "'shooting game like the old lard.' "'Ye never can tell,' said Sandy, with a worldly air. "'Some say ladies is worse than men.' "'Never believe that,' said Jean, promptly, and then she added a little wistfully, "'especially if they are mothers.' At church the next day the congregation was in such a state of excitement, it was with the greatest difficulty that the proper Sabbath decorum was observed." "'Sandy Crumpet brazenly looked over his shoulder "'every time anyone passed up the aisle, "'thinking that perhaps the new laird and his mother "'might come in at any moment, "'and even the grown people looked sidewise, "'but no new faces appeared, "'and fear was expressed afterwards "'that the mother of the heir was of the established church. "'Mrs. Crumpet said she had always heard "'that among the gentry the women were fiercer "'in their religion than the men. "'The shepherd remembered the laird of Kinross, "'but said nothing.' On the way home from church, Jean and Jock noticed that smoke was issuing from all the castle chimneys. It was now early autumn, and as Jean said, the castle must be damp from standing so long empty, and they had the right to warm it up for the wee laird, him being so sickly. The suspense of the long weeks of summer had now become acute. If the old lairds wished to turn the tenants out of their holdings to make Glencairn into a large game preserve was to be carried out— THE TIME FOR DOING IT WAS NEAR, AND THE PEOPLE LOOKED FORWARD TO THE SUPPER AT THE CASTLE WITH BOTH HOPE AND DREAD. EVERYONE WAS TO BE THERE, AND ON MONDAY A WONDERFUL AMOUNT OF PREPARATION WAS GOING FORWARD IN EVERY COTTAGE AND FARMHOUSE ON THE ESTATE. JEAN HAD HER FATHER'S BLACKS ON THE LINE AND THOROUGHLY BRUSHED IN THE MORNING, AND THE SABBATH CLOTHES FOR ALL THREE OF THEM LAID OUT ON THE CHAIRS IN THE ROOM BY NOON. AT FOUR O'CLOCK THEY WERE ON THEIR WAY TO THE CASTLE, Jock had wanted to start at three, but Jean was firm. "'It isn't a genteel to be going so early,' she said. To look greedy, and you'll not get fed the sooner.' Anyone would have said Jean looked pretty that day, for she was not wearing her Saturday face, and the little curls had crept around her head unbeknownst, and were blowing in bright tendrils about her forehead, under the edge of her bonnet with its sprig of pine." Her cheeks were pink, and her eyes bright with health and excitement, and Robert Campbell, looking with pride at his sturdy son and daughter, said to himself, "'It's a sonsy lassie and a braw, lad. I wish their mother could see them.' They walked down the river road, where the autumn colors were beginning to appear, and at the bridge met the Crumpert family, all dressed in their best, also on their way to the castle.' Sandy had scrubbed himself till his face was shining like a glass bottle, and the sprig of pine waved proudly from his bonnet, too. At every branch road they were joined by others, and when they neared the castle gates there was already quite a large group of people from the village as well. Everyone was in a state of tense excitement, for the fate of all hung in the balance. Since the tenure of their homes was at the mercy of the new laird, his ideas and disposition were of vital importance in their lives, and they were keen to see him and find out for themselves what manner of person he might be. Mr. Crumpet was looking very glum. He took a morose view of life at best, and the present circumstances certainly warranted apprehension. If it's a wee bit of a laddie as we are led to expect, he said to the shepherd he'll have no judgment of his own, and be dependent on them as has him in charge. Mr. Craigie will not be loosening his hold, and with only a weak woman and a sickly boy to deal with, he'll wind em around his finger like a wisp of wool. It's my opinion we'll have Mr. Craigie to deal with more than ever. "'Well,' said Mrs. Crumpet philosophically, "'and if we jump at all, "'twill be but from the fire back to the frying-pan again, I'm thinking.' various other opinions were expressed by one and another as the tenants of glencairn followed the wide drive which led to the castle doors most of them had never before been inside the walls of the park and they looked about them with interest at the unkempt and overgrown drive and at the bracken and heather spreading even over the lawns it was evident that the place had been left to take care of itself for many years it was a warm day in late september and though there was a touch of red in the ivy which draped the grey castle walls, the air was mellow with the haze of autumn, and musical with the buzzing of bees. Mr. Craigie, looking more like a pair of tongs than ever, stood on the terrace with the minister and his wife, while Angus Neale, swelling with importance, ranged round the outskirts of the crowd as they approached the castle, gradually herding them toward the entrance when they were all gathered in front of the terrace the minister came forward to the steps and lifted his hand a hush instantly fell upon the waiting people and the minister spoke her ladyship has asked me to say to you that she and the new laird will meet you here he said and afterward conduct you to the banqueting-hall where supper will be served it is their desire to know you all personally and I will be here to present you as you come up the steps. There was a surprised look on every face as the minister finished speaking. What manner of landlord could this be, who made a point of knowing his tenants as men and women the moment he came to the estate? It was a breathless moment, when at last the great castle doors swung open, revealing a group of people standing in the entrance. There was an instant's pause, and then— A tall, strong-looking woman stepped forward upon the terrace, with her hand resting lightly on the shoulder of a sturdy, black-haired boy nearly as tall as herself. The boy was dressed in kilts, with the Campbell plaid flung over his shoulder, and a spray of evergreen pine nodding gaily from his Glengarry bonnet. "'Michty me! It's Alan!' exclaimed Jock, so stunned by surprise that his knees nearly gave way under him, while Jean— her eyes shining like stars, clutched her father's hand, too stunned to realize at first that Alan and the new laird of Glencairn were one and the same person. In fact, nobody realized it at once, for many of the tenants had come to know and like Alan during the summer, simply as the boy who was staying with Eppie MacLean. They were still gazing at the castle door and wondering why the puny wee laddie who was not long for this world, did not appear when the gracious lady who still stood with her hand resting proudly on alan's shoulder began to speak many of you already know the new laird of glencairn as alan MacKay. she said smiling kindly down into their blank upturned faces he has been among you all summer and has learned to love our highland country without dreaming that he himself would one day inherit this beautiful estate he is next of kin to the old laird though not a near relative and had no idea that i had any purpose beyond the improvement of his health in sending him here for the summer i knew that which he did not that he was likely soon to be called to take the old lad's place here and i wanted him to know you first not as tenants but as friends merely he has come to love this region for its own sake and comes among you like a true scotchman meaning to make this his home and the interests of this community his own interests. He is not yet of age, as you see, but his purposes and plans are clearly formed, and I will leave him to explain them to you himself. She stopped speaking, and the people, overwhelmed with surprise and joy, burst into a hearty and prolonged cheer as Alan stepped forward to make his speech. He was only a boy, and a very much embarrassed one at that, but he knew what he wanted to say, "'and he got to the point at once. "'I just want you to know,' he said, "'that nobody's going to be turned out if he doesn't want to be. "'I know all about the lease, and that it's going to run out this fall. "'But anyone who wants to stay on the land and improve it is going to have the chance to do it. "'My mother knows a lot about such things, "'and we're going to collect the rents ourselves, "'and we think, maybe, when I'm of age, "'there'll be some way by which people who really want to use the land— "'may own it, instead of being obliged to rent. "'Mother says they are beginning to do it in Ireland, "'and in England, too, in some places. "'I've found out that people are more important than rabbits and deer, "'and they are going to have first chance at the land of Glencairn, "'as long as I'm laird.' "'This was greeted with such a roar of cheers "'that for a moment it was quite impossible for Alan to proceed.' "'He smiled bashfully at his mother, "'and then held up his hand for silence.' I just want to say, too, he went on, biting his lips to keep from laughing, that after this there won't be any gamekeeper on Glencairn. If the rabbits spoil your crops, you're welcome to catch them if you can. I've ranged these woods myself all summer, and I've found out that gamekeepers are no safeguard against poachers. A gasp of astonishment greeted this statement, and Angus Neal was observed to turn ashy pale. In fact, "'I know that sometimes gamekeepers turn poachers themselves, and make money selling what they have killed,' he went on. Here Angus Neil, looking suddenly deflated, like a burst balloon, began quietly to slink out of sight, and Alan, brimful of mischief, raised his voice so it would be sure to reach him, and said— i've seen it done myself and if angus neal wants to know any more about that gang of twenty bloodthirsty villains which has scared the life out of him all summer he can come to me and i'll tell him i'm the chief of that gang and there are three others just like me and that's all he winked rapturously at the three other members of the clan who were gazing up at him in a stupor of astonishment and fired his last shot at the fleeing angus while the audience catching his meaning burst into howls of derisive laughter. "'Don't hurry, Angus,' he called. "'I want to tell you about your boat, "'and about the water witch that haunted you. "'I'm the water witch, too!' "'But Angus was already out of hearing "'and scuttling as fast as his trembling legs "'would carry him to get out of sight as well. "'When the roars of laughter had subsided, "'Alan said, with a boyish grin, "'It's too bad he couldn't stay to supper. "'And now come up, everybody, and meet my mother.' It was then that the shepherd of Glenysig astonished himself, and every one else, by shouting at the top of his lungs, "'Three cheers for the young laird!' And when they had been given with such energy that the hills rang with the echoes, he called for three more for her ladyship, and Alan waved his cap in acknowledgment for them both. Then the people, surprised out of their usual Scotch reserve by laughter and by the joy of good news, came swarming up the steps, and were introduced to Alan's mother, by Alan himself when he knew them, and by the minister when he did not. The shepherd with the bashful clan in his wake came last of all, and the twins heard him say to her ladyship, "'God bless the laddie! It was a rare day for the glen when he fell into the burn, and came to dry himself by our fireside.' "'It was a rare day for me too, Cousin Campbell,' said Alan." And then, catching sight of Sandy and the twins hanging back behind their father, what did he do but pucker up his lips and whistle the peewit call? The clan was too overcome then even to attempt a pucker, and Alan, springing forward, tried to grasp three hands at once, and introduced them to his mother as his Rob Roy clan. The twins and Sandy were not a bit like the bold buccaneers of the cave, when the great lady of Glencairn smiled on them kindly. "'I told you I'd wear the sprig of evergreen pine and whistle the call of the clan the next time you saw me,' cried Alan, as they fell in behind the others, who were now entering the banquet hall. "'Why didn't you answer?' "'Oh, but,' said Jean, a little sadly and blushing like a poppy, "'we never thought you'd be coming back so grand-like. "'You'll never be playing with the clan any more in Glenysig, surely, now that you're a great lord.' "'And why not, I'd like to know,' cried the great laird, looking hurt. "'I'm still Alan Macrae, chief of the clan, the same as before, and as true to my friends as Rob Roy himself was before me. "'We'll have many a good day in the woods yet before snow flies. "'And listen, I've a plan in my head.' "'There speaks the chief,' cried Jock, forgetting to be afraid of him. "'He was ever having plans in his head. "'Out with that man!' "'It's this,' said Alan. "'I'm going to have a tutor here at the castle, "'and you're all to have your lessons here with me, "'and no end of locks.' "'Here Sandy, who had so far merely gazed at his chief "'with speechless devotion, suddenly burst into words. "'Ay, chief,' he cried, "'that was a true word you spoke about no gamekeeper "'being needed in Glencairn. "'I'm none so keen for the learning. "'But if there should be poachers hanging about, "'they'll have Sandy Crumpet to deal with.' "'Let them take warning of that!' Alan laughed and clapped Sandy on the back. "'I'd rather have you than forty Angus Neels, he said, and then they were swept along, without a chance for further words, into the great hall, where they found long tables spread, and Eppie MacLean with a dozen helpers bringing in such stores of food, that all Sandy had said about the preparations at the castle was justified at a glance.' Most of the people had already found places at the tables when the young laird and his mother, followed by the minister and his wife and the castle guests, came into the hall. The twins and Sandy hung back behind all the other guests, but Alan found places for them opposite his own, and then he handed his mother to the seat of honour at the head of the table. The minister and the guests from the city ranged themselves on either side, and every one stood with bowed head, while the minister asked a blessing upon the food, upon the new laird, and his mother, and upon all the people of Glencairn. There was a great scraping of chairs, and then every one sat down and fell upon the good things like an army of locusts upon a harvest-field. The great hall, so long silent, echoed with happy voices and the clatter of knives and forks, and Jean, looking across the table at the new laird in all his glory, wondered if it could be possible that it was the very Alan whom she had shaken when Angus shot the stag, or who had helped her set the table in the kitchen of the little grey house while his wet clothes were drying by the cottage fire. She ate her supper like one in a dream, and though she kept a watchful eye on Jock's table manners and warned Sandy's elbows off the table several times in her own efficient way, she could scarcely believe such wonderful things were really happening to her. At last the wonderful day drew to a close, and the people of Glencairn, happier than they had been in a long time, said good to the gracious lady of the castle and to the already beloved young laird, and started home in the deepening twilight of the autumn evening. The clan, lingering behind their parents, looked back at the group on the castle terrace before the trees hid them from sight, and Jock sent the Peewit call shrilling through the dusk, "'It was answered instantly from the terrace. "'He is just like Prince Charlie, I'm thinking,' said Sandy, "'and Jock, to ease his feelings, whistled, "'Charlie is my darling,' all the way to the gate of the park. "'The evening star was shining brightly over the dark outline of old Ben Vane "'as the Campbells reached the little grey house on the Bray. "'Now safely their home for ever, "'and Tam came bounding down the path to meet them.' Jean kissed her hand to the star and murmured to herself Starlight, Star Bright I have the wish I wished to night chapter thirteen Recording by Hannah Mary